Freight and supply chain isn't considered sexy by most. But Sam has a different view. There isn't anything quite as satisfying as a well-oiled supply chain coming together. There is, however, a lot of fluff that surrounds the industry. This podcast looks to break through that fluff, bringing exciting topics and trends to light with a fresh new perspective. Welcome to What's in the Box with Sam Greenosh. Welcome to the fifth episode of What's in the Box. I have the pleasure today to be joined by Nav from P1F, who was one of the founders of the Master NHS Heroes charity. What we're going to be talking about on this episode is how they set up a supply chain in just a matter of weeks to deliver vital PPE to the NHS, and then the challenges and the, the positives of what came out of that as an experience. So welcome to the show, Nav. Pleasure to have you on. It'd be great if you could give a quick background to our listeners. Sure. So I am a qualified architect and a civil engineering master's graduate. I went into that field to do redevelopment in Sri Lanka, and I actually set up a business to focus on redevelopment in Sri Lanka. However, having gone there for about four or five years and doing various research trips, I discovered that international finance and the interconnectivity of Sri Lanka's economy with the global economy in order to facilitate development there. So very much the business pivoted towards international finance, international trade, and then we essentially tied that together with China's Belt and Road Initiative. I'm not sure if the other listeners are aware of it, but we did that so that it was easy for Sri Lanka to become a diversified part of a wider Belt and Road portfolio approach. And so that really tied us into sort of uh, working with government on uh, encouraging British companies to capitalize on the Belt and Road, these third country Belt and Road markets. And so it's essentially from that where we had built this sort of infrastructure around international finance and then international trade and again building those relationships along the way so that's that was the background sort of great and this all kind of emerged out of a crisis and covid so be good to talk around that and the impact for you yeah so once so actually the crisis was emerging first in the latter part of 2019 obviously china was getting the brunt of it we have a lot of friends there and i have colleagues there and so we were actually trying to support getting uh, gear to support them. And then when the tables turned, when we then needed gear to support people in the UK, it quickly became about really mobilizing your trusted networks to find out where trusted supply could be. And then we were support, we were essentially giving that to the embassies and the various consulates around China, Chongqing, Chengdu, Shanghai, um, so that they could then have it within their set. And it was from that where, amongst uh, three other friends who, who are doctors, I'm the only non-doctor, where the idea of doing a crowdfund to actually get some of that gear directly to be donated to hospitals kind of started off. And obviously the way that it kind of gathered a lot of momentum was beyond our expectations. Yeah, I think that just highlighted to me just how loved the NHS was in the UK, for one. And it was also quite inspiring as you watched the f- crowdfunding page, the funds come in. And there were celebrity endorsements to get the, the funds in. And it was really a great journey to see the support that you guys got and the support the NHS got from the British public to, to deliver on that. How did it go from kind of funding mode into execution mode and transitioning to deliver the mandate that you guys set out? Sure. So there was a two-week period before actually starting the crowdfund where we were already starting execution. And this was in this is P1F in supporting the various consulates with these suppliers that they could then bet and then procure directly. So we had already built up a, a set of options 
So that bit of execution had already started, and the due, the due diligence on those counterparties is the hardest bit. Finding the right supplier, finding the right trusted networks on the ground is, is the toughest part. At least that was our experience in the mayhem of that time. And when the crowdfund actually started and we started raising money, it was more a case of essentially executing on those instead of giving them to Shanghai Consulate. We then directly do a supply contract with that factory. And then again, that's when the whole coil unraveled and working with Zen Cargo and trying to get stuff out, getting commercial freight space. Blah, blah, blah. I mean, yeah, you'll know that better than me. <laughs> yeah. It, well, yeah, Christ, it was, it was crazy. Limited amount of flights, the pricing of commercial flights, and then the mix of introducing kind of chartered services was crazy exciting, but crazy exciting. I think one of the things we do play down, though, is the fact that you guys set up a supply chain in a few weeks to deliver on this. And yes, Zen Cargo, DHL, Field Flisher all worked together. And I think it was a really testament to the way actually different people from different companies can all come together and align when there's a single agenda of delivering on this mission, which was really inspiring. But we do play down the fact that you guys set this up. So it'd be good to dive into that a little bit deeper. Yeah. Again, I think the only reason we were successful is because you had high integrity people motivated towards achieving the same outcome. And when you have that high quality of, or high caliber of team, you don't need many people to actually execute successfully because each of those people that are within themselves, their little ecosystems, they're able to mobilize other resources, other people, you know, other motivations. So in all, the core team, I mean, my core team is three people, but then by working with Zencargo, then, you know, there's that incredible resource. And then even locally in China itself, those two colleagues of mine, they have their ecosystems as well. So to be able to execute what we did within a few weeks, first of all, it was the motivation. We want to be effective in a crisis. And that was the goal coming into this because we thought if we could prove this in this situation, and I think we can do other things. And then the second thing was then, yeah, mobilizing those people with that same motivation. And I don't think this would have worked if it wasn't for PIP, the internet, <laughs> the high integrity people, and then having a single motivation. I think <laughs> the internet, <laughs> you know, you, you, in terms of real resources, I think they needed a lot. We did need a, a highly effective understanding of the law and of contracts. And from our background in international investment and finance, regulatory environments were very we already have a, a sophisticated understanding of that we had field fisher as our legal counsel to oversee the contracts as well which was fantastic but that is incredibly important i think a lot of people who've tried to enable supply chain during this time struggled because they were trying to do deals without proper recourse and you know etc all of our stuff was direct with the factories all of our stuff was negotiated directly and we really mobilized the sort of Chinese cultural idea of guanxi of relationships, which I think again was a, a cornerstone of the of being effective in that acute period. Yeah, I, well, I think you highlighted kind of three really important things. The one that I well, the one that highlights out the most is people. Right? Is it was yeah, the execution yeah. of people and mobilising. I think sometimes that you had a driving force which was people's kind of love and respect for the NHS and wanting to support, which yeah. created this like camaraderie that as unlike yeah. anything I've seen in terms of business, it was working as a partnership, breaking down all the barriers to, for example, then working with DHL. And it was really great to see that. What I'd love to do is get your thoughts on how businesses could use the mentality that we built for delivering on this project when you're not in a crisis. I think I've definitely thought about that. And I think one thing that's clear is that we don't have to rush. Like, we don't have to rush to try and chase every deal. We don't have to rush to chase every opportunity that 
could give us a commercial benefit or a profit for the sake of it. I think waiting for the right opportunities that actually fit your motivation or fits your goal that is has a good purpose or has the right, you know, it's it, you're actually solving a real problem. Like you're not just doing something for the sake of it. I think that probably solves a lot of the problem. It's a less stressful sort of management scenario. If you can have an alignment like that across your team for a goal which everyone can agree with and actually feels is a good idea, then that's going to cut through a lot of fat in terms of motivating people, in terms of solving the minutiae of problems that happen inevitably in these scenarios. Like, it's so nuanced. I mean, the thing that I really enjoyed about the process, enjoy probably is not the right word, but I think I can say that, you know, the thing I learned the most was, you know, people aren't going anywhere. You can talk about technology all you want, but you need people, A, has to trust B, for a contract to be signed. A, trust that B is going to supply A with X, right? And then B has to trust A that they're going to get the payment for supplying X. That is business. And like, that for me is the rawest lesson from this whole game. And yeah, if your motivation in business can be, okay, we just want to build really trusted relationships. And if that's the core motivation, I think you're going to be all right. Uh, you know, then your motivations are going to be driven in the right direction, I think. And then everything will continue. I think that's quite inspiring, Nav, that. I think that actually... You're right. Business is about trust, people, relationships. And I think at the core, if that's at the heart of everything that we're, we're doing, then there's going to build some great business relationships. You mentioned like being patient. I think you're completely right. I think sometimes we are all in a rush to close a deal or to move forward or to win more business or to grow, but at the cost of what is best for the customer, the client, yourselves. And I think that's a really great point for us to listen to is that actually winning no business is better than bad business. In the last episode, he was saying that his dad can now cast a video from his iPad to his telly and the things that you would never expect kind of people to be doing on the internet, people are doing now. So it's really driven it forward. Was there any kind of key pillars for you in terms of that really enabled you to work with kind of all the different parties? Yeah, uh, I mean, and disclaimer, you haven't asked me to say this, but the Zen Cargo app <laughs> was great because it enabled a level of transparency across the supply chain process that, again, that visibility builds builds trust, it builds patience, it builds, you know, you can then focus on other things because you've got better understanding of what's going on. That makes a huge difference. It makes a world of difference, especially in a crisis and especially when things are happening on other sides of the planet where you can't physically go there. If you can see what's going on in a tabulated format in real time, then, you know, that's great. So that's well, one example. And then we had the DHL team managing kind of shared Dropbox folders and files and getting live pictures from the trucks, which was epic. Oh, it's fantastic. You know, when pictures are coming through from the trucks getting loaded to people putting on the visor and saying, yeah, this is how you do it. Videos from the factory, videos when deliveries are being made, videos when it's coming off. The I mean, it's, fun it's absolutely fantastic. It is amazing. What it is like, it is just, it's incredible. I love it. Like it's, it's amazing. <laughs> but yeah, internet, sorry. So the app, yeah, enables you to do that. I think, well, also the internet. Yeah, I mean, the remoteness of it. This would not have been possible without the internet. It just wouldn't yeah. have. Yeah, I don't think we need to kind of hang on that too long. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of this amazing thing. It's called the internet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, one of the other things I wanted to jump into is this is your first time working with freight forwarders and managing an inbound supply chain into the UK. What is your outside in perspective of our industry and how it operates? My understanding of it before was that customs was the power lever of the process, which I think isn't far off. 
that's only because I saw how much corruption happened at the ports in Sri Lanka. <laughs> you know, where the money seems to be hot. That's where a lot of the power is. So that's that. In terms of the complexities of handing over controls, I didn't fully grasp that. So the real depths of the meanings of the Inco term. And then also one thing I didn't fully grasp is the importance and the levels of types of insurance that you need across the process as well. You know, it's inevitable that things go wrong when you're moving that volume of stuff. But at the same time, I didn't fully comprehend how exciting it all was, actually. I didn't fully appreciate that. It's quite exhilarating, like being part of the process. And again, everyone's working towards the same mission. If it's for charitable purposes or not, like everyone still wants the same outcome, which is great. For me, it's free is, I absolutely love it. And it sounds so sad to think of something like (laughs) as free as kind of sexy, but I think it's really exciting. I think sometimes we don't talk about it enough. So when we have opportunities like this to really elevate Mm. up the supply chain and freight forwarding and actually moving how the world moves as such, I think it's really great to use the opportunity and shout about it. It's like the engineering of trade, right? When someone opens up their iPhone, they don't really understand the chips and the networks, things happening. It just works. Similarly, in trade, if you're buying something from a store, supply chain is like the engineering that happens behind the, the shop front in a way. It's like that whole mechanism, that whole set of networks and everything. And yeah, it's a whole world in itself. It's- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Scott, I definitely think you've been kind of converted. I reckon we could get into it. <laughs> into working in freight but so i think we've kind of touched on the charity aspects and that was something i'm really proud to have been involved in and i think it was really great project but kind of moving out of that and transitioned into now what is a very large kind of global supply chain that you're operating be good to kind of run through kind of what that looks like for you guys now and and kind of the learnings that you've took from the initial to now doing it at really large scale so again, one of the first things that I learned from the process and I wanted to carry on was this idea of building trust and letting that be the water that kind of leads the way. And so how things have evolved has essentially followed that line. So it's through recommendation for maybe doing some procurement management for, for different clients. And that can be across different geographies. So right now it's, yeah, the US, Australia, UK, obviously, but also from the supply side and also not, not exclusive to this sector either. So it's been, you know, the people who've recommended us and then those clients who are then seeking our advice or our help, active help, has been because of those points of integrity or at least those points of delivering with a very high standard and then also with a kind of a clean a clean way. I think it helps that we've got a small team, to be honest. It means that you can't do a lot at one time, but it just means that you can control the variables better in terms of like really looking at it commercially as a business. I'm just, again, I'm just very, very keen to to just build these incredible relationships across the world. It doesn't have to be many people. Even, even if it's just two or three people across the major markets, in each major market, then I'm not too interested in actually what the actual cargo is or what the thing is. And it's more just about those channels then become opportunities to be effective in the next crisis or in something else. Like, And it's, yeah. One other thing that I've tried to do is to really understand how the world is going to be changing with the impacts of climate change and with the impacts of changing climate, which is both kind of part of human what the humans are pushing with climate change. When I say pushing is and how they're exacerbating climate change and how that's going to change the various economic factors in across these geographies and how that then is going to create other interdependencies on critical resources in the future. It just so happened that this was the issue now and we just absolutely fell into that crevasse. But I just what we're trying to do now in terms of thinking in the future commercially as well is 
what are those future critical interdependencies and how can we be best placed to be effective when they happen? Yeah, it's interesting. Like you said, it's not about the product. And I think that comes into the message of kind of supply chain can be a competitive advantage. So if you manage to set up a really repeatable kind of supply chain model that's really effective and you can enter that into whatever market that may be, if it's kind of anything that's involved in kind of global trade, you set yourself up that yeah, yeah. that you've got the expertise and to manage it and it really gives you that competitive advantage. Over yeah. This is being able to be so agile. I mean, one thing that I like I probably should add is or not probably should add, but just it is like an overarching part of the thinking is is linking it to these kind of global changes in in behaviour. Well not human behaviour, but in behaviour of markets and in the behaviour of economies, because it is driven by fundamentals. It hundred percent is. If you've got, you know, increasing aridity within your sort of Mediterranean, sort of mid North African range, that's gonna affect the kind of commodities or the kind of resources that they're gonna be able to export or need for their social development, for their social economic development. You know, that translates into human survival, basically. And it's like Again, having come into this non-commercially, completely, completely non-commercially whatsoever, to me personally, by making it into something commercial, it has to still follow that sort of survival or that critical problem-solving sort of line because that's where my motivations for sure uh, are. So, yeah. yeah, well, for me, working with on two sides, obviously the kind of day-to-day and the businesses we work with are trying to create a demand to sell a product, whereas in this world and the world that we're working in is it's there is a a demand and a need and it's about fulfilling that need and it's not necessarily about who markets it and the different product variables it's about making sure that the product is kind of fit for purpose solves the problem and you can get it in on time to fulfill which what that demand is it's really interesting having both sides and perspectives because it really and from a relationship point of view i think that's what's made a big difference what i've seen is that kind of the way that everyone works when it's it's a need, it's a crisis, and the common goal is well articulated when everyone's working towards the same interest, creates a much more effective supply chain than lots of conflicting priorities because everyone's got their own agendas and trying to work in a world where it's more kind of political and commercial than it is actually for the needs. It's hard. My world of supply chain before this was... You know, it's, it, it does, you asked me, like, what was my understanding before? It's obviously completely different than it is now. And so uh, what is business as usual? I have a different definition of that right now. And I'll be interested to hear from, like, your freight bread and butter, you know, compared to what you were doing before and how it feels. But at the same time, what's sustainable as a company would just be interesting, you know? Yeah, I think that we're digitally native anyway. So kind of picking up that from the office and moving to home wasn't a new way of working people worked remote previously and we were set up for that and so that i don't believe was actually a challenge for the business what i do think is a challenge in the new normal and what's been a challenge over the last kind of six nine months was actually people's mental health people how do we keep people motivated keep people productive make sure people feel part of a team and they aren't just exhausted from being on back-to-back kind of video calls all day um I've definitely struggled. I'm a massive extrovert and I get energy from being around people and kind of working closely with my team and going out and meeting customers and being involved in kind of projects on site. I absolutely love that. So it's been a real challenge for me to kind of thrive where I've been just at home in the same four walls, kind of sitting there working and it and it does feel a bit like Groundhog Day. So I actually think that's the big challenge is how do we build in the human element that we need to be productive and to be happy? 
can I say, I was having a call with one of my cousins the other week and I recommended that he started choir. Now there's a, there's a reason for this. What I have found is that through this process, I've become a lot more monotone because you're constantly talking on the phone and you're constantly in a, a mono environment. It's a kind of the same kind of environment. Your modulations of human experience are limitless, right? They're all intellectual. Even this call right now, it's like I'm seeing you and stuff, but it's not, you know, it's not real, right? Just like we're talking about football or you're not on the pitch. And singing is great because it, it actually, you're creating different vibrations in your body and you're actually, by changing your voice and changing your sort of tones and things, you're also changing your emotions. And I felt like I need to have some modulation like this because when you don't have that emotional... Yeah, when you are, it's in the same environment. And even though you're working with very interesting, complex st stuff, your individual human experience is in a mono state or whatever. So singing in a choir and then playing sport, like, I think you really do need something like that. I need something like that. I've really felt it recently. Then about you? Yeah, I definitely agree. I think the kind of just the natural stuff, the kind of touch, smell, sound is different when you're in person as opposed to being on the screen. So you're completely right. You need to have these different levels in order to to really have that human connection, I, I, I believe. It was actually funny. I, just as we come out of the first lockdown, I went to Sainsbury's for the first time in a long time and a, uh, a lady asked me a question and I kind of was a bit like a rabbit in the headlights in terms of, I kind of forgot how to have a human conversation without there being a screen in between. So it's definitely going to be a challenge coming out and seeing how people are, get back into the normal ways of life of how we used to interact because we take for granted how we just kind of would greet shake hands cuddle friends family are we going to go back to that because i definitely think we need to because i think that's the that's the real human element right and then one of the next things i wanted to ask you was actually people was pretty static during lockdown because they was trying to deal with all of the things that was changing and actually change is probably pretty scary right now considering that there's lots of unknowns there's lots of uncertainty but i think one of the worst things a business could do now is stop and not move forward because when we emerge from where we are at today if you've been idle static and you haven't pressed on and moved forward you could be left behind what would your advice be to businesses because you've demonstrated right that you can set up a supply chain and execute within such a short period of time just by like you said high integrity people really driving forward to that mission but what would your advice be to businesses that are potentially feeling a little bit idle at the moment feels that they're idle there's a whole flurry of activity that's happening so it's definitely the right time to be planting as many seeds as possible and definitely to be you can still build relationships remotely you absolutely i mean what's this i mean we haven't we i don't think have we physically met i can't remember actually I don't think we have, right so and yet we speak so frequently now so and it feels like a genuine human connection so you can do that and you should do that this is the best time to do that because you can be highly efficient you know you're not paying transport costs, like you're saying, you know, public transport, you're saving a lot of time. You can have a whole list of, this whole process has proven that network and relationships is the cornerstone of any business relationship. So now is the time to do that. If you don't feel you're a part of that flurry, that means you don't have enough of a network or strong enough of a network. So you've got to invest in that. You've got to build that. That's one thing. And I think the second thing is, yeah, what infrastructure do you need for what you want to be possible? You need to ask yourself that question because it just so happened that we had the infrastructure for what we wanted to do to be possible. So, yeah, you've got to ask the question, what do you want? Okay, what infrastructure do you need in order to achieve that from a business point of view? And then just fill the gaps. If there are gaps there, you've got to use this time to, to do that. And if there's, you know, if there's fat there that you do need to, that isn't going to help you 
it isn't part of the infrastructure, then yeah, you've got to also, you've got to like slim down a bit. But I think more so on the making the infrastructure, having the infrastructure so that what you want is possible is the important question and network and relationships and stuff is a cornerstone of that is kind of what I would recommend. Yeah, and I think that comes into when we next question was around lots of businesses now we've, we've got Brexit pending, we're in a lockdown, it's lots of people on furlough, there's so much going on, but business as usual has to continue and people have to keep in, in kind of improving and making changes and optimising kind of supply chain. I think uh, this is a great example of how we set it up, executed, implemented, and now have an ongoing supply chain that's, that's set up. And we've done that all remotely within a crisis. I think that demonstrates to businesses that if you know that there's opportunity, but you don't want to make a change because we're in a lockdown, I think that kind of change has to, that mentality has to change because this could be the new normal for a kind of a long period of time. Yeah. And also just remember that like politics isn't humanity, right? Like, yeah, you have these rules, but you're still a human being with all the resources that you can ask for. And there's a whole world of activity happening. This is just the UK. It's only one part of the, the wider puzzle. And if you think that you're stagnant and you don't have many opportunities or whatever, then there's all these billions of other people that are actually caning it, you know, that they're your partners, but they're also your competition. How, you know, so if we're slowing down, then someone else is speeding up. Can't forget that. And so just don't be idle, basically. Like, Yeah. Was it Churchill who said, never waste a good crisis? Was that right? Oh, really? I don't know. <laughs> I think so. I won't hold myself to that, but uh, that's great. Okay, brilliant. <laughs> Well, thank you. We are out of time in terms of what time we booked to do this. So absolute pleasure to have you on, Nav. It's been a great conversation. I think it's just really, really highlighted to me, again, the just importance of relationships and people in executing on business initiatives, whether it's supply chain or whatever the goal is, it's people that execute. So really, really great to have you on. Thank you for joining me on the show. No, thanks. I genuinely... Thanks for tuning in to What's in the Box. If you enjoyed the episode, please hit subscribe and leave a comment.